We are resuming our series through the book of Proverbs, so let's take our Bible and turn there together. Or if you would prefer, you could just take out the insert found in your bulletin, and on the first insert, you'll find my sermon outline, and then with the second insert, you'll find all the passages from Proverbs that I'm going to cite, and you will find the references in the order in which I will cite them. Today we're considering what the book teaches us about work and laziness, and so I've entitled today's sermon, Don't Be an Idol Worshipper, that's I-D-L-E. I'll begin in a word of prayer, and then we'll consider the subject together. So Lord, we come before you now, a very grateful people, Lord, you have brought us through 15 months of upheavals, there has been a global pandemic, there have been state lockdowns, there have been job losses, Lord, so many things. But together, Lord, we have persevered, and it's by your grace that we've done so. And Lord, what wonderful news this week that all of our state's lockdowns have been lifted, that life can begin to return to normal, that people can begin to return to work. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to work. It's a great privilege and a grace from you. Lord, I pray that you would help us in our study this morning to see the the intrinsic worth of all work. Lord, that you would help us to shun the sin of idleness. That you would help us to become the kind of people that you would have us to be. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the first things we learn about God from our Bibles is that God is a worker. The very first verse, Genesis 1-1, reads, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as the first chapter of our Bible unfolds, we find God zeroing in on our planet. And over the course of six days, God is raising the continents. He is seeding the planet with life. And finally, he is creating our first parents, Adam and Eve. And at each stage of God's work, he is pausing and declaring it to be very good. God is delighting in his own work. The Bible also teaches that God has continued his work right down to the present time. Now, the work of creation is complete, but God is still at work preserving the universe that he has made. He is actively upholding the laws of nature. God is also active in the work of redemption. So ever since our first parents, Adam and Eve, fell into sin and plunged plunged all of their posterity into sin as well, God has been at work calling a special people to himself, regenerating their hearts and drawing them near in repentance and faith. And the Bible says that God takes delight in these works as well. God takes a particular delight in the people that he saves Psalm 149, verse 4 reads, The Lord takes pleasure in his people, and he adorns the humble with salvation. So God is a worker. God delights in his works. And the Bible also teaches that God created us in his image. And as part of that, God also tells us to work. Back in Genesis once more, The first thing that God did after creating Adam and Eve was to give them work to do. God told Adam he was to name all of the animals, and then he told Adam and Eve together that they were to tend to the Garden of Eden, 
that they were to exercise dominion over the created order. And it was God's grace that they should work. These were not burdens for Adam and Eve to bear. These were joys. Through their work, they would have the opportunity to actually add to the beauty of what God had made. So God had had created the Garden of Eden for them, but now God was saying to them, now you go, you work the garden, enhance its beauty. And through Adam and Eve's work, they would find pleasure, just like God had taken pleasure in his work. And then many, many years later, the responsibility to work was enshrined into the Ten Commandments. The Fourth Commandment reads this, quote, Six days you shall labor and do all your work. So uh, an instruction there to God's people to be workers. But then to make sure that no one overworked, we have this additional instruction, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So six days we are to be involved in productive work, and then one day out of seven we are to rest and worship and recharge. And again, this was the grace of God at work, to have the great privilege of working, of doing good, and then to have the joy of rest one day out of seven. So this is our calling as human beings. We are called to spend most of our lives engaged in productive labors, whether that's the labor of a full-time homemaker, or whether it's a school teacher, or a business person, or a full-time minister of the gospel. It's our job to be involved in productive labors, and then to do good in this world through our labors, to take joy in the work that we do, and to be a source of joy to God and to others. And friends, this leads us into the book of Proverbs and to today's topic, which is idleness. Now, an idle person is an able-bodied adult who is simply refusing to work. And the book of Proverbs has a very special name for this kind of person. Proverbs calls him the sluggard. Okay, and this is a great word. Okay. It's related to our words slug and sluggish. Okay, again, it is the able-bodied person who just won't work. Right? They, they just can't seem to find it in themselves to move, to do something with their lives. That is the sluggard. The book of Proverbs has a very dim view of sluggards. In fact, the book tells us seven ways in which the sluggard is failing to live up to his calling as a person. And after giving us these, Proverbs tells us the seven, excuse me, the three tragic consequences of living a sluggard's lifestyle. So let's consider these together. We'll begin with those seven ways in which the sluggard fails to live up to his God-given calling. Number one, the sluggard neglects his God-given responsibilities. He neglects his God-given responsibilities. We see this in Proverbs 24, verses 30 and 31. Again, at the top of that insert. Listen to what this passage says. I pass by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns, and the ground was covered with nettles. Okay, those are weeds. 
and its stone wall was broken down. So here's a, a really sad story. I mean, here is a man who's been given this wonderful inheritance. I mean, he's got a home. He's got property. He could work that land and, and provide food for himself. He could provide food for his community. But because he's a sluggard, he just can't find it within himself to get out there and do the work. So as, as the writer passes by the sluggard's home, what does he find? The house is in disarray. The weeds are growing in the field. No crops have been planted. In fact, even the wall that is marking the boundaries of the, of the property is in disarray. This man is failing to live up to his responsibilities. Number two, the sluggard doesn't finish what he starts. Doesn't finish what he starts. Look at Proverbs 26, verse 15. It says, The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. So this is a, a humorous passage where you've got a man who is really hungry. So he goes into his kitchen. He prepares himself some food, brings it uh, to his, his table, and he scoops up some food, but then he loses his motivation. He can't even get it to his mouth. Right? He started the job, but he can't finish the job. He's just too lazy. Number three, the sluggard is a constant irritation to the people around him. Look at Proverbs 10.26. It says, Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Have you guys ever been seated around a campfire and suddenly the wind shifts and now all the smoke is just blowing in your face? It's awful. I seem to have a gift for this. Like, no matter where I sit in the circle, the wind is going to blow the smoke in my direction. It's irritating, right? I mean, it burns your eyes and you just you can't breathe. There's nothing worse than the smoke in your face. Well, the sluggard is like smoke in the eyes to the person who sends him. In other words, you've, you've got a task that needs to be done. And so you, you say to the sluggard, look, I need you to do this for me. Could you, could you please take care of this job? And the sluggard says, oh, sure, I can do that. But then they don't actually follow through. The job doesn't get done. It's, it's irritating, right? It, it's annoying to have a job that they said they would do, and then it just doesn't get done. You know, there's a larger point to be made here as well, that laziness may be a personal decision, but it has social consequences. See, when the slugger decides they are not going to fulfill their responsibilities, they're putting an extra burden on everyone else around them. See, now the other people have to do extra work to make up for the deficit left by the sluggard. See, the sluggard is a very selfish individual. Their highest value is maximizing their own physical comforts. And so they are, they are very happy to neglect all of their responsibilities, uh, to break their word and not follow through on their tasks, even if it means that it'll be a hardship for everyone else around them. That's the sluggard. So why doesn't the sluggard just work and make life easier for everyone else? Well, that takes us to number four. Slugger doesn't work because he's always got an excuse for why he can't. 
Look at Proverbs 26, 13. One of my favorite Proverbs of the book. Listen to this excuse. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. In other words, you say to the sluggard, look, why won't you just get out of bed and go to work? You're needed today. And the sluggard says, oh, I can't. It's too dangerous. There are lions running loose. You wouldn't want me to leave my home and get eaten by a lion, would you? Just every outlandish excuse you can imagine will be employed by the sluggard to get out of work. So sluggard, why won't you work today? Well, because I'm too tired today. Because I have a headache today. Because my car broke down. Because it's raining outside today. Oh, I can't work today. It's too hot outside. Oh, it's too cold outside. Oh, it's, it's too dangerous for me to leave the house today. Oh, I need a mental health day today. There's always a new excuse every day. This leads us to number five. The sluggard has an entitlement mentality. Look at Proverbs 20, verse 4. It says, The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. And I just want you to focus on the first part of that. So at the beginning of the season, the sluggard has done nothing to prepare for harvest. He hasn't plowed his field. He hasn't planted seeds. He's done nothing. And yet he still comes back to his field when it's time to harvest, expecting to find something there, right? So he he did no work, but he still expects to receive some kind of payment. It's an entitlement mentality. Maybe he thought somebody else was going to pick up the slack and plow the field for him so he could bum around for the whole uh, season, and then he could come back and reap the reward. But what does the proverb say? It says, but he will have nothing. He will have nothing. So friends, this is the sluggard according to Proverbs. He's a man who is able-bodied but who refuses to work. He neglects his responsibilities. He doesn't finish what he starts. He's a constant irritation to the people around him. He's always making excuses. He expects to get something for nothing. Now, Is there anything at all that the sluggard is good at? One thing that he can do? Yes, there is. According to Proverbs, this is number six, the slugger does do one thing well. He's really good at sleeping. Look at Proverbs 6, verse 9. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? Proverbs 19, 15. Slothfulness casts into a deep Sleep. Proverbs twenty four thirty three. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And my personal favorite, Proverbs twenty six fourteen. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. And Pastor Mark Dever has a great quip on this one. He says, "So what moves but never gets anywhere?" A door on its hinges and a sluggard in his bed. See, the sluggard isn't good at much, but he is really good at sleeping. Or, in our day, we might say he's really good at watching television. Or really good at playing video games. Or he's really good at keeping all of his social media feeds updated. 
But what he's not good at is actually getting out of his house to work. You know, the ironic thing about it all, in living this way, this is number seven, the sluggard actually thinks he's beaten the system. Look at Proverbs 26, verse 16. It says, The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. That means the the sluggard looks out the windows of his home and he sees all the cars going by and people eagerly rushing off to work. And and that sluggard looks at the the workers and says, those fools, look look how they're wasting their lives. And they rolled out of bed this morning, got dressed. They're running off to work. They're going to spend 8, 10, 12 hours laboring away. And then what are they going to do? They're going to come home and get a little sleep, and then do it all over again the next day. Those fools. And in pride, the sluggard says, but not me. I've beaten the system. I figured out how to, how to get out of all of this. But you know, in truth, sluggard has not beaten the system. Really, that sluggard is just showing contempt for God and for his neighbors. Doesn't care that God made him to be a worker doesn't care about the burden that he's putting on all the people around him. Besides all of that, he's missing out on the joy that would be his if he would just fulfill his calling and get to work. The sluggard also forgets an important scripture passage which says, you reap what you sow. That means eventually, even if it takes a little time, Living the life of a sluggard will catch up to you. It will. And this takes us now to the consequences of the sluggard's lifestyle. Proverbs presents three tragic consequences to wasting away your life like the sluggards. First, the sluggard traps himself and his family in poverty. Look at Proverbs 6, verses 10 and 11. We also find almost identical wording there in chapter 24. But it says, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and here will be the outcome. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. And in Proverbs 10:4, a slack hand causes poverty. In Proverbs 20, 13, Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. In Proverbs 28, 19, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. So you see, the the sluggard is is laughing at all the workers because he thinks he's beaten the system. But you know what happens is that eventually the system catches up to him, right? Eventually, people stop giving the sluggard money. They stop bailing him out. Eventually, the enhanced unemployment benefits dry up. And then there's nothing. And now he has no work experience and he has no job prospects. And he's in real trouble. And so is the family who is depending on him or her. In fact, that's the next consequence. Not just poverty, but real trouble. There's real trouble for the sluggard. Look at Proverbs 15, 19. It says, The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, 
while the path of the upright is a level highway. See, if you will do what God has called you to do and get up every morning and have productive work to do, whether that's work in the home, if you're a homemaker, or if it's outside of the home, it says life is more likely to be as a highway for you, smooth path. But if you live the life of a sluggard, eventually your life is going to be difficult. It's going to be like the the man trying to fight his way through a, a dense thicket, like constantly running into obstacles. Nothing is easy anymore. See, the sluggard's life is easy for a time. He enjoys a lot of sleep and all of that, but eventually it catches up to him. Life becomes hard. Money runs out. Now he doesn't know what to do. And besides all of that, Proverbs teaches that the sluggard is perpetually unsatisfied. It's perpetually unsatisfied. Look at 13 verse 4. It says, the soul of a sluggard craves and gets nothing. Cravings in the inner person. Maybe these are cravings for, for meaning and significance. The craving to know that your life has been good for something. But it's a craving that goes unfulfilled because you're not fulfilling your calling to work. And then there's another type of craving that goes unfulfilled. 1915, the idle person will suffer hunger. So he has these inner spiritual cravings that will not be fulfilled by sloth. But then he's also got his bodily cravings. He is hungry And his stomach will not be satisfied because he doesn't work. He won't bring in enough bread. You know what the ultimate end of the sluggard is? Look at Proverbs 21, verse 25. It says, the desire of the sluggard kills him. That's the end of the sluggard's path. He thinks that he has found the good life. You know, that's why a sluggard chooses to be so lazy, right? I mean, the the sluggard thinks that he has found the path of the good life. But according to Proverbs, the life of sloth will actually cost him his life. And friends, don't we all know of people in our circles who chose the path of sloth? I mean, they were fully capable of work, and they just couldn't seem to find it in themselves to do it, to actually find something productive to do. And it was all to their own hurt in the end. You know, I can't help but think about my first neighbor when I moved into Marshall. He lived in the house right next to mine. His name was Mike. And as far as I could tell, Mike was able-bodied. I mean, I saw him, you know, walking about his property. He would do some gardening in his backyard. He was good at working with his hands. He even made a trellis for his front porch. And, and I would see friends drive up to his front door, and, and he would get out, hop into the car with ease, and then he'd run his errands and, and come back. It, it seemed to me like he was a really able-bodied guy. And Mike and I talked on, on regular occasions because we were neighbors, and I would invite him to church, but he would always turn me down, and you know, I would ask him what he's doing with his life, and he would say, oh, I got a bad back, I can't work, so I just hang around the house. Didn't look like his back was in too bad a shape. Looked more like this was a choice to live in sloth. 
fact, all that Mike ever did, as far as I could tell, was tend to his garden, make little projects around the house, and you know, drink beer and take drugs and watch television. I mean, that, that was his life. That was his whole life. And while still in his 50s, he died tragically in his home. And I watched the ambulance take his body away. And I don't know what the cause of death was. I just have my suspicions because I know the lifestyle of the man. But what a tragedy. You know, here, here was a guy still in his 50s, able-bodied. He, he could do something meaningful with his life. He could have glorified God and done good for people and, and experienced the internal delight that comes with knowing you've had a life well spent, and instead he just wasted it, wasted it on television and substances. And his life was cut short because of it. Friends, we all know people like this. What a tragedy it is when we see it. And friends, what should we take away from all of these proverbs on sloth? Well, I think the lesson is very simple. It's this, that it is good for us to work. That's the simple lesson. It's good for us to work. And so Proverbs 6, verse 6, I apologize, I didn't put it on your insert, but it says this, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Listen, God has embedded a work ethic into every creature under the sun. So, sluggard, if you won't listen to the words of a wise man, that's okay. Just look at the creatures. Pick the ant of all, of all things. The lowliest creature that God ever made. Even the ant works hard. Just look at the ant. Learn the lesson that work is good and follow the ant's example. See, it's good for us to work. And it really doesn't matter what kind of labor we're involved in. All legitimate vocations have significance and they have importance in the eyes of God. I love this blog post that I just came across from David Oliver this week. David Oliver is the pastor of um, Ashley Baptist Church in Belding, Michigan. Listen to what he, he says. He says, right after graduating from college, I enrolled in seminary to pursue a master's degree. At that time, I also became engaged to the young lady I would marry. I needed an increase in income to match my increasing financial obligations, so I applied for a job at a textile mill not far from my school. Working at this mill was hot, noisy, exhausting, but it paid the bills, and the second shift hours they offered fit my class schedule. I bet a lot of you guys can identify with the work conditions that he mentions here. Then he goes on. He says, one evening there was a brief pause in work in my department. A man was retiring after 40 years at the mill. There was a cake, the presentation of a wristwatch, brief comments made by the plant manager, then rather unenthusiastic applause from the rest of the workers. And then in less than five minutes, everyone was back to work. Now this man reflects on the experience. He says, I recall thinking at the time that five minutes of recognition and a cheap watch were small compensation for decades at the plant. 
I felt sorry for this man who had spent so much of a lifetime in this dirty factory. But I also thought how determined I was not to waste my life in a similar manner. But now he talks about his attitude today. He says, Now, looking back on the perspective of decades, I realize that I was wrong. My thoughts about this man and his work are now entirely different. He didn't waste his life at all. And I have great respect for what this man did. He demonstrated integrity in laboring to meet his own needs. He worked hard to support those who were depending on him. He showed discipline in coming to work every day to do a difficult and often tedious job. His labor exhibited honesty and effort and creativity, all of which are commendable virtues. He earned, he purchased, he invested, he paid taxes, perhaps he gave, all of which contributed to the local economy and the well-being of society. In performing his job every day, he strengthened the community. He made himself an asset and not a liability. Isn't that great? All work, no matter what it is, if it's a legitimate occupation, it is all meaningful. It's all important. God smiles on it all. By the way, this applies to unpaid work too. The mom who spends all day, every day at home watching the children, managing the affairs of the household, that is important work in the eyes of God. Or the retiree who volunteers hours every week to helping his local church, maintaining the building and grounds, or greeting those who enter. This is meaningful work. My friends, I think we need to change our attitudes about work. I mean, aren't you glad for the work of God? Every day we wake up, we look outside, and we're surrounded with the beauty of God's creation. That is His work. And we take delight in it. And even greater is God's work of redemption, how He is working to build this redeemed people for Himself and Don't we delight in the fact that he did a work in our hearts, drawing us to himself, and through our repentance and faith, we came to know God in a saving way. Aren't you thankful for his work? Aren't you thankful for the work that he did when he sent his son into the world, lived a sinless life, endured the cross, bearing the punishment of our sins, and then rising from the grave? God has done great works, and we are thankful to God for it. Well, my friends, be glad for your opportunity to work, too. You have the opportunity to be like God in this way, that you can labor, and in so doing, bring yourself delight and do good to the people around you. Yes, work in today's world is difficult, okay? It's toilsome. But it's also a great privilege. You know, God also uses our work to shape us into the kinds of people that he would have us to be. Looking back on my own life, I can't think of a single instance where 
my personal growth was facilitated by plopping on a couch and watching television. It might have been a nice diversion from the busyness of life, but I don't think I did any growing okay, in those hours. You know when, when my growth has taken place? It's been in those hours when I have been laboring, whether it's the, the labor of a student, right? And, and I'm, I'm reading texts, and I'm, I'm trying to understand their meaning, and I'm growing intellectually and spiritually through the hard study, and then working in the factory and learning to show up on time and do an honest day's work and learning how to get along with different kinds of people, learning how to seize gospel opportunities. And then the work of pastoring and the whole new set of responsibilities that comes with that. See, my, my personal growth has always come in the context of work and especially in the adversity that work brings. God wants to use our work to glorify Himself as we meet our needs and those who depend on us as we grow in our personal lives through our work experiences So, friends, as an expression of your love for God and your neighbors, will you not find something productive to do? Now, I know right now I'm talking to a congregation filled with hard workers. There's not a sluggard among you. But maybe there's somebody here who needs to hear this anyway. You know, we're witnessing a strange phenomenon right now. Everywhere we look, in every city in America, including here in Marshall, there are help-wanted signs. You know, those help-wanted signs have some pretty generous offers. I saw Applebee's on Michigan Avenue offering a $200 sign-on bonus for anyone. I've seen fast food places in town offering to pay your college tuition if you'll take a job there. I've heard of other employers in town offering $1,000 sign-on bonuses for entry-level positions. Denny's down the road is hiring at $15.50 per hour starting pay. All kinds of incredible opportunities out there right now. But you know, just this week, the new unemployment figures were posted, and unemployment went up in the country. How can we have help-wanted signs everywhere? And the unemployment rate went up. People don't want to work, right? They just don't want to work. They'd rather keep watching television and collecting those enhanced unemployment checks You know, they're missing out on so much. They're missing out on the ability to reflect something of God in their lives and of feeling the the dignity that comes when you meet your own needs. And they're missing the joy that would be theirs if they had money to give to those who were truly in need. They're missing the opportunity to, to contribute to the betterment of their community to experience all of the personal growth that would take place as they faced adversity at work. It's so important, friends, that we work. So if I'm talking to you right now, think about stopping at one of those businesses with the help wanted sign this week. Let them know you're ready to work. You want a job to do. Take that job, show up on time, and you put your heart into it. No matter what that job entails, you just do a good job. 
glorify God in the process. Or if you're a student, commit yourself to to having the best school year of your life this fall. You just rededicate yourself to your studies. And you say, this semester, I'm giving it my all. Okay, I'm not going to squander my time away. I'm going to get straight A's because I know that's what I'm capable of. You be a hard laborer in your studies. Or, if you're a retiree or... Unable to work out there in the workplace, you could talk to the pastors or the deacons of this church and say, Hey, are there any jobs around the church that could be done? I want to serve my congregation by serving the needs that are here. So many needs here, many that don't require heavy physical labor, just tasks that need to be done. We would love to plug you into those jobs. You could feel the dignity of contributing in that way. My friends, may it never be said of any of us that we are idol worshipers. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the time that you've given to us. Lord, we're so grateful that you are a worker. Lord, your work has meant our life. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to delight in work as well. Lord, work is hard. We, we work with difficult people. The tasks can be mundane. Our bodies can become sore after a long day's efforts. But Lord, help us also to see the great privilege that it is to use our minds and to use our bodies to serve you and others. Lord, I pray that you would use the work of this church to spread the gospel throughout this immediate community, but then all the communities that our people represent. Lord, may may we be uh, as a light on a hill here at Grace Baptist Church. I pray all of these things in your Son's name. Amen.